today we're going to spend some time in the book of James. So grab your Bible, turn to James chapter 4. I wanted to preach this text in about July of last year, but I waited because I knew it would be an important text for us as we look back on 2020. Uh, What lessons did you take out of 2020? Were there some things that that you learned maybe about yourself, maybe you learned about God as you look back on 2020? With all of the uncertainty, boy, if it's one thing that 2020 taught us, it was that our plans can be interrupted, amen? That, boy, the things that, we, the things that you were thinking in January of 2020 that you were going to accomplish probably got disrupted. I know we had lots of medical students in that year as they came to a really strange year in terms of graduation and where they were going to be sent into their next residency season. That was an odd year to go through. Uh, There are other people. I've got a sister in uh, Arizona who's in the midst of um, getting her uh, doctor of physical therapy, uh, and all of her rotations are up in the air, and she doesn't know where she's going to go next and if she'll be prepared for that. And all of the plans that we had for 2020 started to be disrupted, and we got interrupted, and everything felt, uh, I don't know about you, but everything felt tenuous. We felt uncertain. And I want to ask you, what, what came out of your heart in 2020? Were you confident in the goodness of God who upholds the universe by the word of his power? Or were you maybe a little discouraged feeling like I had all these plans. I mean, we as a church had great plans to do great things for God. And we had to scrap, I mean, probably 80% of it and go, okay, well, that, that was, that's a different kind of plan for 2020. How do we handle that? Maybe it really discouraged you that you thought 2020 was going to be the year that you lost that 20 pounds. <laughs> now it's 21 in 21. Maybe you were discouraged. Maybe you were kind of despondent, like, is there anybody up there? Has God left the control tower? What in the world, God, are you doing? How are we supposed to understand a year like 2020? Well, James chapter 4 is a text uh, that you read prospectively, but it impacts you retrospectively. You know what I mean? That a lot of times you'll read the scriptures and you'll come across things and you go, hmm, that's good, that's a good truth. That's interesting. I should, I should think about that and ponder on that. There are other texts, and you know this is true, those of you who've been walking with God for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, where you got spots in your Bible that are like an, an asteroid and an impact crater. When you read them, you go, oh, that is so true. Let me tell you a story, Right? You've got those places and those scriptures and those truths that you know by both God's word and experience. When they came together, you look back and you go, oh, man, God taught me something there. I've got a story about it, let me tell you. Well, this is a text in James chapter 4 that as we look back on 2020, 2020 is this perfect illustration of one big lesson that I think comes out of James chapter 4, all right? So that's what we're going to look at today. James chapter 4, we're going to be in just four or five little verses, 13 through 17. James chapter 4 starts, it's probably a a text that we've even taught this before in our church, that at the beginning of James chapter 4 talks about our desires that go to war against them. And James begins to, what causes quarrels and conflict among you? Isn't it this, 
that your desires are at war within you. Then he goes on to talk about humility before God and humility before others. So he deals with these conflict and quarrels that happen in our personal relationships and then how we ought to react and respond to those things with humility. So that's with our desires. Now he's going to look at humility according to our plans and our ambitions. And that's going to show up in 13 through 17, all right? So let's pray, ask God for his grace, and we will jump into this text here together. Father in heaven, thanks for your word that has the power to reorient us, to shape us, to guide us, to give light to our eyes when so often when we look at our uh, our finances, our relationships, our ambitions, our vocations, all of those things, we look at them dimly, and we need the the clarion call of your word to give light to our eyes. So we pray that you would do that for us this morning, that you would change us and shape us, that we would see things about you and about ourselves maybe that we've never seen before, that through your spirit and your word, you would change us, you would shape us to be the men and the women that you desire for us to be, that as a result of spending time in your word, that we would come away clean, we would come away uh, cleansed of the sin that so easily entangles us. And that we would come to you, the source of all truth and joy and love and peace. And that you would encourage our hearts here this morning. For those who come in maybe discouraged at their 2020, uncertain in your goodness, not sure of who you are and what you're doing and what your plans are, I pray that we would gain great encouragement and strength to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, as Paul tells us. So, Father, challenge us this morning. Help us to repent quickly of sin and help us run to the grace that is alone in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, James chapter 4. Verses uh, 13 to 17. Y'all there? Say yes or say yes. Okay, good. We're all there. All right, I'm nervous. Look at what he says, 413, come now. Now, if, if you were to circle that, just keep your finger in 4-1 and look over at 5-1. James uses this phrase two different times when he begins. And it's a phrase that uh, James is one of your first New Testament epistles written. It's kind of your, one of your earliest and when James writes, he writes out of being a Jew, he writes out of a Jewish background. And he uses a phrase in James 4, 13, and in James 5, 1, that is somewhat of an Old Testament prophet phrase. And I'm, let me tell you what he does with that phrase. When he says, come now, what James is about to do is encounter you and I in the midst of our life. You and I in the midst of our situations. And what he is going to do is use an illustration and tease out this illustration to show you a principle that exists in your heart and in my heart as we go about our lives. So when James does it in chapter 5, look at what he says there. Take a look at James 5, verse 1. Just move down the page. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there other than to say... What James is going to do with his counsel is intersect people in their situation. And the people in their situation, in the way that they look at life, are going to be intersected by spiritual truth. So you're going to take a perspective on this world that is going to be intersected by spiritual truth. You with me? 
He does it through the prophet Isaiah, too. You may have remembered this verse. This is from uh, the book of Isaiah where um, God says, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. So in Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah does the same thing, where he's looking at a situation where now the sinfulness of the Jewish people is laid bare and shown. And what Isaiah does is intersect that sinful condition with really, really good news. You with me? So when James begins this council, or basically this big counseling session, he's going to let you know that his spiritual truth is going to contrast the normal perspective that people have. You with me? Come now, you who say. Now, let me just pause there just for a minute. In James, uh, James chapter 3 talks about the tongue. It talks about how uh, the way we speak is revelatory about who we are. James and Jesus both take the words that you and I say very, very seriously. Remember what Jesus says? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks. The mouth speaks. That, that what you say reveals what is going on on the inside of you. James says back in James chapter 3, the tongue is a fire and it sets on fire the course of life. That it stains all of our life. It reveals and directs all of our life like a little rudder does a big ship. So what James is doing is showing you a simple and very common, when you read the rest of this verse, it is a conversation you have had. These words have come out of your mouth. You've talked to people like this person is talking about their life, which makes it so, um, what's the word? Difficult to read. Because it's so us. It's so how we live and go through life. So before you get into it, here's what I want you to know, is that the Bible is very, very clear that when you speak, you speak theologically. You speak with truths that you believe about yourself, about your strength, about your future, about who God is, about whether or not he's involved, about how sufficient you are for the day and its trouble. That it doesn't take long for you and I, as we talk, to reveal our theology, to reveal who we really are and what we really believe about God. So watch this illustration that he uses. He's going to use a businessman's illustration. He's going to use a normal conversation and show you some very important things about why this statement and this phrase is so illustrative for us in 2020. Look at what he says. He's got about five different things that this guy says that are theological points in just a very quick sentence. Come now, you who say this, today or tomorrow. What's he saying? He's saying that he's not bound by time. He's not running on a schedule. He's able to make decisions based on a today or tomorrow, basically whenever he wants. We, uh, when Suzanne and I got married, uh, we got married in July, found out we were pregnant in the following year of February, we moved to Charleston in March, and uh, within our first week of being here, went to, the, went to the doctor and found out we were having twins. 
twins don't run in our family. Our girls are identical twins, which don't run in anybody's family. They're like a one in 3,000 kind of birth. So we hit the jackpot. And suffice it to say, our life changed. That immediately we brought home two little girls, one that was a five-pounder, one that was a six-pounder, and they had to eat to live about every three hours. All day, all night. My wife would go to bed about six after putting the kids down. I would stay up at nine and then at 12 and try to make it to the 2.30 to feed them. And then I would go to bed and she would get up and we would tag and high five in the hallway about our thankfulness, about how our lives have been reordered by the incoming of these two new baby girls. And that's how our life would go. And we hit the holidays. And I said, we aren't going anywhere. Because our lives are bound by the schedule that these two little baby girls put upon our life. But this individual is not like that. This individual is not bound by time. You ever have a person who shows up fashionably late that you know? You got those friends? The movie starts at 4.40. They show up up by 15. Well, this person says today or tomorrow, I've got no restrictions on my schedule. Number two, we will go into such and such a town. We used to race home from church with the twins uh, after the service to make sure that they didn't fall asleep before that first midday nap time. Because if they did, it would ruin our entire day. And we'd have to keep them up. All the windows would be open. We'd be going over the bridges, trying to talk to them and sing to them and do all sorts of things to make sure these babies stayed up. Because if they got that three-minute nap in the car, it was over. And our life began to be restricted that we couldn't go when we wanted. Not only was our time not our own, but now our schedule. We were restricted with mobility, that we couldn't just go. So this person says, today or tomorrow, I'm not bound by schedule. Number two, I'm not bound by mobility. I can go wherever I want. Can you imagine what it would be like to talk to a Jew in the first century and say, we can make it from New York to L.A. in about five hours? 3,000 miles in five hours. And that's not what, this is what these, uh, these are probably businessmen or Jewish merchants. And they would say, we're going to go into such and such and such a city. We, we have the ability to go so we can go. Number three, we have the uh, ability to go wherever we want. It's not that we're just frozen in mobility. All of our destinations are open to us. We can go into whatever town we want to go. Not only that, the amount of our duration and the amount of our trip is up to us as well. We'll decide to spend a year there. So the when and the where and the how long are all within their restriction, all within their hands. Finally, they can trade and they can make a profit. These folks can go and do business in wherever situation they want for as long as they want, and they don't have to be back at any certain time whatsoever. Are you seeing all the assumptions that show up in a statement like this? That there is no uh, de-icing the plane. 
There is no car accident. There is no, I got a flat. There is no, the baby was sick and threw up in the third row of the suburban. Real story. None of that. And finally, do you see the, the end of all of their planning, all of their goals, is the word profit. None of us, when we look at a brand new year, none of us, when we looked at January of 2020, plan to do anything other than succeed. Right? None of us went into 2020 planning to be devastated relationally. None of us plan to go into 2020 being devastated financially. None of us went into the year planning to lose a significant amount of health and mobility. All of us planned to profit. All of us planned to succeed. You don't have plans in your mind and in your heart to do anything other for you than help you plan toward what is better than where you are now. Amen? We all do that. Because we see better ahead for ourselves. We all plan with this with this eye toward uh, success and profit in our lives. Now, what is James against here? Is James against planning? Is that what he's against? I, our family, <clears throat> uh, we have six kids who are notoriously, I'm not a good planner, I'll admit it. Now it's on video forever and always that I've admitted in front of you and in front of my family who's watching online that I am not a great planner. My children essentially have short-term memory loss. They're not very good planners. But my wife is a fantastic planner. And if you're not a planner and you come in to relationship with a planner, then you recognize planners are essentially magicians. You ever watch the Harry, you've watched Harry Potter, somebody's watched Harry Potter here. Hermione has this bag, it's this bag that keeps everything and anything in the bag. That's the mom's purse illustration that you have in the bag, all sorts of things you will need. I get so surprised that my wife is able to anticipate what my children will need two hours from now and that she will somehow magically have it prepared so that our kids have what they need on a rainy day because there's wind and they brought the boot and they needed the thing and they needed a snack because it's 10:15 well, and it's snack time. So she's a fantastic planner. And the scriptures aren't against planning. James isn't against planning. Here, let me read you a couple of Proverbs. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 20, plans are established by counsel, and wise, by wise guidance, you wage war. Proverbs 21, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who's hasty comes only to poverty. So James isn't against planning so much, and he's not even against profit. Amen. Make money. Succeed in business. Do well at the work that God has given you to do. He's got an issue in James chapter 5 about how you spend your money, but he's not even against profit. What is James against then? What he's against is presumption. This person has planned their economic success, has planned their geographical success, has planned their schedule's success, has planned their mobility success based upon the fact of all things that they believe that they can do. But you and I know that when we make plans, 
they're easily interrupted. Now watch the lesson that James wants to teach this individual. How is James going to intersect this individual's uh, perspective on their life? Take a look here. Look at verse 14. Yet, you have all these plans and you presume all of these eventualities of profit and mobility and freedom and planning and schedule and all those things. Yet, here's the contrast to it. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. I don't care how good you are at forecasting the market conditions, what you think the markets are going to do. I don't care how great a planner you are. Your plans are fundamentally educated guesses about the future because you don't have one key piece of information, do you? You and I don't know the future. And that's James' point. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. No matter what plan you have, no matter how skilled it is, it has a major hole in it, is that all you have are guesses about tomorrow. Now watch what he goes on. So one, his answer to the people who are presuming upon the future is that you're ignorant. You don't know as much as you think you know. You're not as skilled as you think you are. Now, is that a good, I mean, you don't want to shout this on the street in the midst of 2020 right now, right? Well, that's pretty important to know. So watch what James is doing. Watch what he's building this case here. You're ignorant. Number two, what is your life? Why does he ask that? Because all of us have an ambition in our life that our life is meaningful. Our life is characterized in our mind by purposeful moments and purposeless moments, right? Meaningful moments and less meaningful moments. And what James does is compress all of your entire life and makes you ask a very important question. You're presuming upon the future, but what is your life? You have plans and ambitions for how tomorrow is going to go, but what is your life? Look at what he says. Uh, for New Year's, we, did, uh, we got sparklers, which terrify my three-year-old. She's super excited and super terrified as people do sparklers. And we, as the sparklers came to the end of their life, they smoke. And it's this word right here that James uses. It's used uh, to translate a word called vapor over in the book of Acts. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Be encouraged if you're new. Welcome to Citadel Square. Here's what we think of all of our lives. Because what, what does a person who has presumption and assumptions about the future believe about those presumptions and assumptions? They believe they're solid, don't they? They believe they're to be counted on. They believe that their plans and vision and ambitions are dependable. And James takes our whole life. He doesn't just take our plans and our ambitions. He takes our breath, our heart beating, our brain waves, and he compresses it down to this little bitty, I, had a, I was going to use an illustration as a match, but I, I forgot them, uh, into the smoke that comes off of you blowing out a match. That's your life. Compared with the eternity of a God who is from everlasting to everlasting, our lives are a blink. Blink. Done. That's kind of humbling, isn't it? 
kind of depressing to go, we're gonna compress all of our hopes, dreams, personal ambitions, and desires for good things in life into a mist. Uh, keep your finger there. Turn over to Luke chapter 12. Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 12 about an individual who looks at life like this. It's almost an identical parable, identical story to what is happening here in the book of James. It's over in Luke chapter 12, verse 16. It's in the midst of him talking about um, anxiety. It's kind of in the midst of a, a, a couple of different other things that he said, but I just want to show you just a few things that that happened. You watch how James begins this illustration back in uh, 4.13 with an individual who, who is speaking, right? An individual who is, who's out of their heart is coming all of these plans. And what Jesus uses is this illustration of a rich man, somebody who's been very successful in business. And in Luke chapter 12, he, he gives you a window into the mental state and the mental conversation of someone who's talking to themselves. Luke chapter 12, look at verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself. Here's the one-on-one -on -one that you have with yourself. Here's the conversation that this individual is having. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. See that? Four different times. I will, I will, I will, I will. Here's my plan, here's my direction, here's my ambition, here's my goal. Ultimate and lasting profit and success for how long? many years. The future is certain, and it's dependent upon what I do today to guarantee and secure the blessing and outcome of my life. This is the one spot in the entire Bible where God calls someone to his face a fool. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? That's a great question, isn't it? All of your ambition, all of your planning, all of your desires, all of your future that you thought was so certain and secure comes to an end because God says, tonight it's done. So flip back to James. So not only are we ignorant about what tomorrow may bring, but what else are we? We're temporal, we're brief, we're short-lived. We're not here that long. We think we plan for security and confidence and a future that is stable and steadfast. And James says, you don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring and you aren't here that long. So, what's James' good counsel to that individual who struggles with presumption and assumptions, who continues? You know what you notice in, the, in, this, in 4.13? This individual isn't planning any great sin. They're not planning to defraud anyone. They're not planning to do anything evil necessarily. What they're doing is fundamentally leaving God out. They're presuming upon God. They're presuming upon themselves. They're assuming that life 
and the blessing and benefit and future and security lies in my hands. That it's up to me to make the most of my life. This is a great individual. Don't you, wouldn't you agree? When you ran into this person at work and they had a vision and a plan and a direction and ambition and they had all of these things worked out and you were like, I'm not sure what I'm eating for lunch. And this guy knows what's happening in 2025. And James says, be careful. You don't know about tomorrow and you don't know long how long you're here. So let's see what his counsel is. Look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, let's see how I can reorder my verbal theology and get a hold of the right kind of ambition and heart in my mind. If the Lord wills. Now, when uh, that word L-O-R-D is used, it, for, especially for James, when James uses that word, it appeals to the Old Testament picture of God's covenant faithfulness in relationship with his people. It's not God up there somewhere. It's God involved in the life and times of his covenant people. And what James says is he recognizes, let's reorient our heart and say, God, if you will, if you desire this, we will what? Say live. We'll live. God, if you want my heart to keep beating, if you want my breath to keep going in and out, we will live. The Psalms say that my times are in your hands. So James says reorient the way, not stop planning, but reorient the presumption that you bring to your plans all the time and make sure that you're aware that it's God who holds up the universe by the word of his power. It's God who allows things to move forward and accomplish and succeed. Every single plan that God has was not discouraged or disrupted by 2020. And James says, align your life and your heart and your plans and your ambitions to what the Lord wills. See, so there's two important things here. One, when you and I plan for the future, we have to understand that to accomplish what we want to in our lives, to accomplish the ambitions of our hearts, that we are totally dependent on somebody else's sovereignty and strength and ability and wisdom and goodness and kindness towards us, right? We are wholly dependent on God who holds us together, upholds the universe, which means that you and I have to take a perspective when we come to our plans to ask the question, not whether or not you have planned, but whether or not you have included God in your plans. Have you prayed what Jesus tells us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you and I have the courage to pray those things? To say, God, I am here, I am open, I am ready, I am willing. Would you use me? Would you do something through me, whatever you want? Suzanne and I, when we got married, we had kind of an unspoken commitment that we would go wherever God wants us to go. We will be a part of God's kingdom and what God wants to do through us wherever he wants us to do it. God, our, we signed the check and gave it to God and said, God, you decide where we're gonna go. 
You decide what your plans are, and we want to align our plans and ambitions and dreams and desires with what you want for us so that we would be a part of what your kingdom is doing here on this planet. So is there a desire, is there a question in you and I to say, God, what you will is more important than what I want? And number two, are we willing to have God to supplant some desires in us? What do I mean? The Psalms say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That means he'll deposit them, he'll develop them, and he'll bring them to pass. So are you willing to open your heart and mind for God to reorient your passions and desires for God to move you into new directions so that you would want what God wants? Because fundamentally, our lives are dependent upon factors, honestly, on factors that are wildly out of our control, are they not? But we act like Life is dependent on our own strength, our own ability, our own timing, our own schedule, and all of the things that we think we can control. And James says, if the Lord wills, we'll live and go and do this or that. You see how nondescript his city and uh, actions are? See, we have a tendency in our plans to hold tightly to the outcomes of the places we go and the things we do. And James says that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that your heart is submitted to the will of God. I don't spend a lot of time worrying about the will of God. I spend a lot of time making sure that my relationship with God is right, and I trust that God will direct my paths and direct my decisions. God will direct my ambitions. God will direct the desires in my heart. And I want to be used of God on this planet for as long as he give me for his glory. You with me? So God, if you will, God, I'll go wherever you want to live, me to go. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I want to make sure that my relationship and humility with God is settled. And then I move. But as it is, he says, look at verse 16, you boast in your arrogance. Literally, the word is plural. It's arrogances. Now, I showed you five different things in verse 13. And James says, when you are speaking out of your mouth that presumes and assumes all of these different things in your life, you are boasting in your arrogances. That arrogances word is used in one other place. It's used in 1 John 2. Here's what it says in 1 John 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and right here, the arrogances of life, the pride of life. Here's what the world is going to tell you in 2021, that you've uh, got a lot to do and a lot to be in charge of and a lot to be responsible for. And what you need to do is get your life together and start planning and organizing and having an ambition for your life so that you would get your life in order to accomplish all the things that you need to accomplish. And what James is saying is that When we do that, when we do James 4.13, we have a tendency to believe the lies of the assumptions and presumptions we tell ourselves. And it presses us into the world's mold that says all of my desires, all of my ambitions, all of my goals and plans for profit are up to me. And here's what James says. Now James drives it even further. We said in 4.13, this guy wasn't planning anything evil until you get here to verse 16. All such boasting is evil. When you live your life and I live my life, 
without an eye toward humility under the plans of God, then I am living contrary to the purposes of God. I am fundamentally, it, it is just as bad to be doing sins of commission as it is to be ignoring God completely. To be living in such a way that there is no God up there and it's up to me to figure out my life. And James says, all such boasting is evil. Now watch how he finishes this. This is very interesting to me. This verse feels, even commentators interpret this verse differently. Because it's hard to figure, it's hard to, it's kind of an off-balance verse. So, here's the therefore to all of what he said in 13 through 16. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. How does that connect? Now, you had two times where he's mentioned what you know. The first one, he says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring, right? You're ignorant. Your plans aren't steadfast and secure because you don't know all the contingencies that may show up. You don't know the traffic jam. You don't know the flat. You don't know that you're going to have to de-ice your window. You don't know that the plane's going to get stuck with an equipment malfunction, you're not going to get off the ground, et cetera, et cetera, right? We don't know those things, but those things happen. Now, he says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, this is called sins of omission, that there are things that we know we ought to do, but we fail to do them. So that by the end of this, James is reorienting our relationship with God so that we would be humble and sensitive to the will of the Lord, right? And number two, he makes sure that you and I should have an ambition and desire to do what is right, not what we want. So that your ambition and your plans going into 2021 should be, God, would you reorder my heart and mind to be more focused on my obedience before you, my humility before you, than I am on all the dreams and passions and desires and things that I think I want to achieve? Man, isn't that convicting? Imagine, in all the instability of 2020, if we were a church that said, God, we don't want to take a step unless it is right. We want to lay our plans and our visions and our ambitions, but we want to put all that under this, this conviction, God, that if you would will it, we will do it. Uh, I was taking my, I take, every Friday, I take, my, uh, I take one of my six kids to lunch. Uh, that means I uh, get through the kids consistently, right? And I get some time one-on-one -on -one with them. I, I took my son uh, and we had at a stoplight, and we have uh, folks in West Ashley who will be down on their luck, veterans who are uh, struggling financially and stuff like that, and they'll, they'll come up to the car and they'll walk up and down. And these guys, uh, my son uh, said, Dad, where's the bag in your car that we hand out to these guys who are uh, struggling down their luck, financial difficulties, stuff like that? I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, Mom always prepares this bag with a variety of stuff in it so that she would be ready for these encounters where she would be able to minister to somebody who's in need. I said, what a great idea. 
So my wife has taught our kids that there are times when they will encounter people who are facing difficulty and hardship as a result of a variety of situations, and she will have prepared a bag that is ready for us to do good and to be generous as needs and situations arise. And I was rebuked by my six-year-old because I didn't have it in the car. They make one for their car. They didn't make one for my car. So I was unprepared to be able to be generous to an individual when I had the opportunity to do so. And, and my, my son was like, well, what can we give him? What do we need? How do we hand him? What have we, said, we don't have the stuff in the socks and all the stuff that we need in the bag and be able to give the guy the thing. I said, you're right. We got to go home. We got to make one. What my wife has done is to be able to train our children and teach our children there are opportunities that will arise for you and I to do right, to do good. And how many times do I come into situations where I'm either too busy or my plans have interrupted opportunities that God provides for me to be able to be ready to do good? You ever been there? I'm convicted just saying that out loud. And James says, get your eyes off out there and know the good that you're able to do now. Let me, let me kind of just close with this. Um, if you came in here today and you go, God, on the 2020 that I had, I don't, I don't know if I can trust you. I'm not sure you're still in charge. Maybe it really is up to me. Maybe God's up there somewhere, but he certainly isn't trustworthy. He certainly can't be counted on. And I want to close with, with this section of Scripture. It's in Psalm 103. You can turn there. And I want to show you something, because when God brings us, this, this is a hard text to teach. You know why this is a hard text? Because we have all been there, haven't we? We've all been in places where our plans were cratered and we felt like fools and we had these ambitions and dreams and desires and life didn't go the way we wanted it to go. And we felt hurt and we didn't feel heard by God and we weren't sure what he was doing and we felt embarrassed and we felt weak. We've all felt those things. When God does that to us, when we have years like 2020 that feel uncertain and we don't know where to turn or who to count on or all of those things, God never does that to shame us. Do you know that? He never, God, we, it's not like God's up there going, I thought you were sovereign and in control. I thought you had it all together. I thought you were going to bring your plans to bear on the world. Our limitations never surprise God. Our inability never surprises God. Right? Amen? You with me? Psalm 103 is this psalm that shows you the frailty of man. It shows you man's inability. And I, I just want to show you in context how Psalm 103 reads so that you would understand, I think, what God wants us to take away from a text like James chapter 4. When everything feels unstable, <clears throat> verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. You with me? You get the sense of God's compassionate love and care and concern and tenderness that he has for his people. Now watch, verse 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. You are a mist. Now, watch what he says next, verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. When we feel brief, when we feel exposed, when we feel weak and uncertain and like, I'm not in control at all of my life. What Psalm 103 shows us is that nestled between the loving arms of God is our frailty, our inability, the shortness of our life. How can we be both temporary and absolutely secure? And the only answer is the love of God. Right? That whatever 2020 threw at us, what the book of Romans tells us is that uh, all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purposes, right? That the confidence of the Christian is not that we are in control, not that we are wiser than other people, not that our plans always succeed, but that because of Jesus, because Jesus and his plans came to nothing in the garden where he didn't get what he asked for, And he was crucified and devastated so that you and I would have long-lasting, true profit. So that the last word for us in this life is not failure and being transitory and ephemeral and being brief and being forgotten like mist. But that we would only and always and eternally be known and loved by God. That's the encouragement for those people who wrestle with the presumptions and assumptions in this life. Is that the only thing that unhinges, you know why you get mad when your plans fail? Because you discover you're not God. I had it all planned, God, and you didn't come through. And the good news of the scriptures is that we are held by an eternal. Psalm 90 says, uh, we have 70, maybe 80 years of strength, and their span is but toil and trouble, then we fly away. And Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Because in Psalm 90, God is the everlasting to everlasting God who loves and cares and serves and protects and guides his people so that anything that you experience in 2020, anything that you experience in 2021 will always come from the hands of a loving God for you because God's love will have the last word in this life. Amen? Father in heaven, we need to reorient our hearts. 
We need these moments where we look at the presumptions and assumptions that we have about life, and we need to uproot them. We need to dig them out of our hearts and be the kind of people that are dependent on a God who loves us, on a God who is from everlasting to everlasting, on a God who is sovereign over every detail, who numbers the very hairs of our head, who says to us through Jesus, fear not, little children, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, Father, for those who come in here this morning and are despairing and discouraged, I pray that they might know the everlasting arms of a God who loves them, that their frailty and inability and their dependence is not an embarrassment or shame to you, but it is a right understanding of who they are before a God who loves them, and that in you, your love has the last word. Because of what Jesus has done for us, nothing that comes through to us in this life is ever apart from your knowledge or your sovereignty and ultimately your goodness and wisdom toward us. Would you give us the confidence to be the kind of people that would do what is right as we have the opportunity? Help us to walk in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord Jesus who gives us wisdom and the spirit to obey your word and command. May we be people who take steps of obedient faith. May we be prepared for good works that you've prepared uh, beforehand that we would walk in them. Father, that you would use us this year in 2021 and that we would say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Father, that's our hope and ambition. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.